episode 38 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father, four ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. If you or somebody that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. And uh, I just have to say, I, I had I totally struggled after I got the opening out in this first time that I tried to record this. So I went back and I was going to see if I could kind of just edit a little bit there and, and jump in. And it just sounded bizarre. And I look at my recording program, and I've never done this in, in my whole life, but it was set on robot vocal. So uh, all I hear is this robot, this robot's voice coming out of uh, the computer. So um, kind of freaked me out a little bit. So we're back uh, We're back to the normal narration vocal. Um, kind of wish I would have left the robot vocal, though, just to mix things up a little bit. But if you want to contact me, you can contact me by uh, sending me an email at contact at pathbackrecovery.com. Um, or if you go to where the podcasts, um, you can find all these podcasts wherever you get your podcasts on the Apple podcast app on iTunes on whatever whatever app you use for Android, or I've got them at virtualcouch.xyz. And there's a contact form on that website as well that uh, you can reach me at if you have questions or suggestions for guests, that sort of thing. And uh, this episode is again brought to you by Bloom for Women. Bloom offers online programs, expert help, and an empathetic community to help women heal, strengthen, and grow past the trauma of infidelity and betrayal, whether it's betrayal from a spouse who maybe has had a pornography or a sex addiction, or from the emotional betrayal of an affair. And I continue to hear amazing things both from clients and listeners who have taken advantages of the services that are offered by Bloom. So uh, a lot of them tell me that they didn't really know that there even was a name for what they were going through, meaning betrayal trauma, and definitely weren't aware of the help that was available through programs like Bloom for Women. So please visit bloomforwomen.com and they offer a free one-week um, trial to their all of their programs. Uh, I've negotiated a deal with them where if you do use the coupon code virtualcouch, all one word, you get a free month uh, free months access to all of their programs. And again, they're evidence-based programs. It's an entire community that's designed to help heal and recover from betrayal trauma. And as per usual, this episode is also brought to you by the fine folks at Eli's Extracts. Eli's Extracts makes an all-natural organic shave cream that is scented with amazing topical fruit uh, scents um, that are from essential oils. And if you head to Eli's, E-L-I-S-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S.com, and use coupon code virtualcouch, all one word as well, you'll get 25% off your entire order. They're all natural organic shave cream scented with essential oils. Okay, my guest today is Aspen Drake. And uh, Aspen is a, what I believe I was uh, trying to come up with some nice, clever titles for. But in the old days, one might refer to as an up-and-comer. She, uh, You'll find out immediately that she is a very, very, um, very skilled with words and uh, really just a, a fun person to talk to, even when talking about difficult things. Um, but then I started thinking about, you know, Aspen's age range. She's uh, early, mid-20s which I believe is what uh, we kind of look at as the term millennials. So as I was trying to jot down some notes, I was saying, you know, okay, old timers would say she's an up and comer, you know, and what millennial crowd might call, which of course led me to a Google search. And uh, I found an article from Inc. Magazine, and it was called 21 Words Millennials Use That You Can Add to Everyday Conversations. So this is where I'm going to sound so old. It's incredible. So I uh, looked up a couple of these words. They, they had 21 of them. So I tried to say, okay, which one of these millennial words could one apply to my um, guest today, Aspen Drake? So one of the first ones that came up was savage. It says uh, savage is so common it's now mainstream. Savage means something is really cool, but there's also a hint of ferociousness as in cool, coolness untamed. So I think you'll find out that uh, Aspen is definitely, definitely cool. Salty, one of my favorite words that my kids like to use. If a millennial says you're being salty, it's because you're probably in a bad mood to at least uh, you're giving in a kind of a negative vibe. Um, but it says it's a good word to use because it's mild and not offensive. I think Aspen actually maybe has used the word salty in conversation with me. I don't think Aspen's being salty in this episode, but uh, she definitely has a spark a spunky personality. There's a couple of old man words. So uh, that one kind of, I thought this one was interesting. Woke, W-O-K-E. It says, someone who is woke is aware of what's going on, plugged in about trends and fully in on discussion. A um, Aspen is definitely woke. And I, I swear to you, this article is about six or seven months old. This one I think is already passed because I remember hearing about this one. This one says fleek. Being on fleek means you are on point. 
The word means cool, trendy, and desirable. It can also mean that you're tracking with the conversation. So uh, if in those terms, I would say Aspen is definitely on fleek in this conversation. Last one, because uh, no, no, there's two more. This one has been around since I was in high school back in the 80s. So uh, this one is rad, um, which I didn't even know that millennials had adopted this one as well. So the word has been around for a long time, but it's still part of the millennial canon. It's a shortened version of radical and means cool or edgy. And the last one that I, I really thought this was so clever, but then I, I didn't realize it was being overused even by the millennial crowd, but that is uh, the phrase adulting. So adulting means someone is finally learning to grow up and to accept responsibility to mature. And again, I, I didn't re-listen to the episode, but I swear maybe uh, Aspen talks about having to adult or therefore adulting. But my point being is that uh, Aspen is an amazing woman and she has gone through a lot in her in her relatively short life, including what she discusses in detail on this podcast episode Uh, what it was like losing your mother to cancer. And I do want to clarify one thing as well. Aspen has an amazingly quick wit, and she and I have spoken on a couple of different occasions, so there's a little bit of familiarity there, which I love. But just in listening to the first minute or so when I was editing and fading uh, in and out of the the music, I believe that I mentioned that she graduated college early, and which she did, but I think I threw out there the age of 14 being sarcastic, and or maybe was I being salty? And Aspen corrected me by saying that she graduated at 15, which was also not true. It was actually 16, which I'm kidding. That wasn't true either. But I do believe it was around 20. And uh, then I realized that she never clarifies that. So I know that there could be a lot of people listening that, you know, when they're telling her story to friends or telling them to check out Aspen's podcast, that uh, it could come across as, you know, and she she graduated at 16 from college, but she really didn't. But it was early. I think, again, I think it was around 20. But Aspen comes on to talk about her experience with the passing of her mother and what that was like as the oldest of four siblings. And I asked her also to talk about the five stages of grief and loss, something that she had done some research for on her podcast. And yes, please go give it a listen. She'll talk about it on the episode. It's called Loss for Words, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. But I feel like she did such an amazing job on her episode about the five stages of grief and loss. Um, She brought on her younger sister, Brighton, who was equally as sharp and intelligent as Aspen. And I believe they did, honestly, it was an incredible job bringing just the right amount of humor, uh, information, and emotion to just an incredibly difficult topic. Okay, so I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Aspen Drake, host of the podcast Lost for Words as much as I did. Oh, and this one is also, this is one of those that is available on video. If you head over to my uh, Tony Overbay Marriage and Family Therapist, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist Facebook page, um, I'll have a link from there to the video, or you can find me on Vimeo, vimeo vimeo.com. And uh, again, if you uh, if you like the podcast, please feel free to uh, rate and review, um, share the share the podcast around. That would be greatly appreciated. But now let's get to the podcast with Aspen Drake, uh, host for the pod of the podcast Lost for Words. All right, there's the recording. Test, test, check. Give me a test, Aspen. Test, test. There you go. All right. So, how many episodes of your podcast do you have now? Four. Okay. It- I'm pushing through to the fifth. Okay, and you already have, what's the theme of the fifth? Is so it spoiler f- alert? Yeah, so I can I can talk about it. So I have a coworker who's around the same age as me. Okay. And we actually have a serendipitous situation where we're pretty much like similar situations with our moms passing away. Okay. Which, I mean, is it like a fun thing to be like, hey, twins, but... Like, it helped us bond. Okay. And so we're going to talk about... She messaged me, actually, and she was like, I've been thinking a lot about, like, when someone will say something to me about, like, my mom, and it, like, makes me, like, uncomfortable, and, like, I feel like other people are uncomfortable when they, like, are approaching people who are grieving and they don't know what to say. So we're going to talk about kind of what to say or not to say, how to navigate those conversations. Okay, and and already I have to say, and we're off. You already used the word serendipitous, which is a very big word, right? But you are a college graduate. Uh, Yes, I am. At a very young age. Yes. At 14. Close. Close. It was actually 15. 15. And then I already love the way that you, you you know, yay, twins. I mean, it's like you talk about a pretty serious subject, but you, I don't know, you bring... Humor? Levity? Yes. And, and my guest is Aspen Drake, but I guess I've already done an intro where I've gone on and on about how mm-hmm. amazing you are, right? Yes. Yeah. But you have a podcast called? Lost for Words. Lost for Words, and it is about grief and loss, and I've been listening to it, and I absolutely love it, and I recommend clients to listen to it. And, like, that's super flattering coming from 
the podcast general here. Oh, yeah, I think so, right? <laughs> yeah. I think the general, the commercial, like I got a little army hat on mm-hmm. and a mustache, right? But so talk about that, bringing levity to a topic uh, grief and, or about grief and loss, right? Well, I think that's just kind of my MO as a person. Okay. And my family. You know me and my siblings pretty yeah. well and how we handle situations. And there's been a few situations that we put into where it's one of those things where you can either cry or laugh and we take that second route and we're just we roll with it we and sometimes it's one of those things that like you know you need to have moderation in all things because i think sometimes you know if you're too silly about stuff and just trying to it turns into kind of a denial phase okay and you don't really so there's Speaking that of as well phase perfect segue so i asked asma to come on because she has an episode that i recommend that you go and listen to and it is about the five stages of grief and loss Yes. And you you presented that so well. I mean, I, I work with it in, uh, as a therapist now for a long time, and I feel like I learned a lot from you. Well, I appreciate This is the second flattering moment already and in And that is, podcast. I am tapped out. I, I okay. do two per show. Okay, so I, I'll month, take right? it. I'll so, take and it. before we get into the, the five stages of grief and loss, maybe do you mind kind of letting my listeners know a little bit about your story? E- personally? Sure. Okay. So, I mean, I grew up normal childhood, pretty much, Northern California. Um, I have three younger siblings. I, my mom had breast cancer. Um, she got a double mastectomy. I was in elementary school, and that was kind of, that was hard. That do, was, do you remember a lot about that? I remember it being weird. I remember my mom coming home from the hospital and me being like, this isn't mom. Like, this mm. is weird. Something's different. But it was one of those things where, like, all the adults are trying to be like, oh, everything's happy. Everything's yeah. normal. But it definitely triggered something anxiety-related, I think. Okay. So since then, I've struggled with anxiety in different ways. And obviously, I think there's hereditary things that go into that. Sure. But I think that just going through that experience, I remember, you know, I was, I went into middle school and like I would go on field trips and my mom would have to chaperone because like I didn't want to be like away from her and okay. away from home, like yeah. that kind of anxiety stuff. And so. Do you, do you look back now and tie that to that, her coming home from the hospital or do you feel like it was more, it was kind of there from the factory? Um, I think it was just kind of there from just the experience of her having cancer okay. and, like, having to realize from a young age, like, oh, people can get sick. Oh, something bad can happen. Um, and then I think, looking back, I think subconsciously I didn't like it when my mom left. Like, I knew there was, like, problems in the relationship there, marriage-wise. Okay. And so I didn't know it consciously then, but I think subconsciously when my mom would, like, leave with my dad, like, I didn't want to have a babysitter. I didn't want them to leave the house. Like, I needed to keep my eye on them. I needed to know. Well, like, how so. old? What, like, what are you talking there? Is that middle school, high school? Uh, that was, like, elementary school, okay. I think. Yeah. And then going into middle school. Um, but, yeah, high school, like, my mom's cancer had metastasized. I think that's how you say it. Okay, it's another big word. Um, it's the fun time when the cancer didn't actually go away like you thought it did. It just spread. So Now, in those years, I mean, she had years, though, where she was Yeah, so she had years yeah. where she was cancer-free, and um, she went back to work. She was an elementary school teacher, um, and she actually did work through and after most of her treatments. Wow. And so, yeah, she was very inspirational um but i mean i went to college and i remember being very anxious because when i was leaving for the for college that was the second time that my mom's cancer had come back and i was like i was signed up to go to school in hawaii and that was a far ways away very rough place to go to school yeah other than other (laughs) than being separated from the family i didn't have much to complain about but yeah, it was. So did you find out about the, the that latest diagnosis your senior year or was it? Yeah, so okay. senior year. And I remember mom was doing her thing where she's like trying to be strong and keep it from everyone. And I look in the back of the car one day and there's like a folder from the hospital. Oh. And I'm like, mom, are you kidding me? So did you already know? I mean, did you have a, a sense? Like, I felt like something was 
weird, but it wasn't, like, very evident. I was just like, oh, we must all be stressed out because, like, it's, you know. Because talk about how, the did, school year. how did your mom handle rough things? Oh, she was a rock. Yeah. She was, she wouldn't let you know even if you tried. Yeah, everything's fine, Everything's right? fine. Everything's great. Going yeah. about day to day. And obviously, I think that's why I'm kind of how I am with okay. my. <laughs> sure. So you see that, the, the hospital info, did you confront her or was it like, oh, man, you know. It was one of those things where, like, I think she was going to tell us soon anyways and she would set us set the siblings down and was like oh family meeting and all the kids know what that means and so they're all like dreading it Uh um but my mom was like you're going to school if it's the last thing i do i'm sending you off to school and so i was like fine and i went Mm. and i had a good time and my mom was there to see me graduate so that was very special to me because she was pretty much the whole reason i was there in the first place um and it wasn't till i came home from school after I had graduated that she started to get really sick in that third round of treatments and it was just the few months that I was home it was just such like a rapid just like descent in health and like I'm happy that I was able to be there for her just because I eventually went to like a um, bereavement group and there was lots of other girls my age who had recently lost a like mother figure to cancer and a few of them didn't they weren't there when their mom passed away and they had a lot of like guilt and gotcha. emotions attached to that and I didn't realize that was like a big thing until I started meeting these girls and so it made me appreciate my experience a little bit more yeah okay so yeah. It, what do you remember around that what was that like you know after immediately after or those yeah it was just well first of all being there in the room when someone is dying like mm. to put it in a very serious literal context is very bizarre i don't think you are you're not trained in life to have that kind of bedside manner like when you're watching tv and like someone dies in the hospital it's very like they say their last words and they slip away quietly and it's just like very uh fades to black nice music there's closure yeah in real life it's like you know someone's body is actually shutting down so it's actually Uh kind of like scary and it's kind of like you don't know when they're gonna pass and you kind of are hoping to just get it over with because it gets to a point where you're like okay like feeling um feeling kind of bad but i just can't do this anymore Um, and i think like what you're saying unless you're a hospice nurse i mean how do you know what to do at all exactly and like we were like my mom was on hospice when that was happening she was at home and it was nice because we did have guidance and like Uh they told us kind of what to expect and they gave us like some drugs just to kind of like ease that situation but it was just like do you i know this might seem too cliched but do you have thoughts or do you if somebody were to come to you especially as your podcast grows and you i know you always ask for questions and feedback if somebody asks you hey this is what i'm going through what do i do i don't know what to do i don't know how to handle it like that end of life part what would you say um like right before they pass yeah yeah just be there like I remember the night before my mom passed I had just kind of recently started a new job and I came home and I was kind of upset at something that had happened at work and I spent like most of my night with her just talking about that and I remember looking back I felt so guilty because I was like I, I made my mom's last night about me but then if anyone kind of knew my mom and her I would relationship, say that's probably perfect for yeah, her right? exactly yeah. I don't think she would have had it any other way no. so as a matter of yeah. fact, if you would have tried to make it about her, that's, oh, yeah. you're going to exactly. get that. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. Just being there and, like, because once that person's gone, you've got a whole new, like, set of events you're going to be going through. But that's inevitable. You can put that off until, like, yeah. that person is gone and then so be, you can be face present those. and just yeah. be, be there. Yeah. Would you remember the the week or so afterward, what that was like? Or was that, it you know, was, the, the, the blur kind of you hear it about? It was the blur um, I was kind of saved from the long-term sense of shock just because, as I just gave my, like, long history with my mom and her cancer, like, I think I had been preparing for a while sure. for her to pass. So yeah. it wasn't, like, this thing where it was, like, it wasn't real. It was just one of those things that, like, yeah, I'd say the first week it was a blur. It was kind of, like, it was a blur of people visiting and messaging and calling and me informing everyone and then trying to scrounge up all the information to get a funeral mm. and contacting the family. And it felt almost kind of like a little safe space because, like, you know, all your family starts flocking in, yeah. all the friends, everyone's there. You don't have to, like, 
worry about anything too logistical immediately. Everyone's just kind of concerned for your well-being, so there's kind of a safety net yeah. there. Can I tell you, I remember, because I, 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 I got to attend the funeral, and I still remember you know, just uh, my heart breaking. And I remember I, I watching then you guys all come in, the family come in and I'll never forget that, you know, you're, you're trying to look at your faces and it's like, I'm expecting somber. And do you remember what you're, you guys were smiling yeah. and it was like, it was the, I felt like everybody in, and it was packed. Right. Yeah. And I feel like everybody there just kind of, when they saw you guys come in and, and there's like smiling. Cause it's like that, that was your mom. Yeah. And, and it was just, that was just, I think it set the whole tone. I think so, too. And, like, that, like, the whole ease and the help that I've had since my mom passing, and it's especially just symbolized through that, is just who my mom was. My mom set up this wonderful community for us. Everyone loved her. She loved everyone. She was very selfless and happy all the time. And so, I don't know, she, like, helped us have this transition through her passing just by, like, having that community of good people surrounding her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so you know, I, I, I asked you to kind of come on and, and give your thoughts on the five stages of grief and loss, right? Yes. So I'm curious, is this a good place to transition into? Were you living those? You know, what was yeah. your experience with those? What are the five stages okay. of grief and loss? All right, now so, it is time for you to drop some knowledge, okay, as the kids say, yes, right? Yes, this okay. is me. I'm gonna sit back. Okay, so um, basically, the very bottom line of the five stages of grief is when I talked about it on my podcast. I had my sister on actually. And we decided. She was so funny, by the way. She's so funny. Yeah, big words, that sort of thing, too, right? Yeah, I know. She's like so great and so funny (laughs) and so. (laughs) Hear that all the time, right? Okay. All right. Um, You know, the youngest sibling syndrome. Is that what it is? Yeah. Sure. So, um, anyways, um, Elizabeth Kubler Ross actually is the one who kind of created this concept of the five stages of grief. And we wanted to talk about the five stages of grief because we figured everyone's at least heard of it before. Yeah, sure. Even if you don't really know what it is, like, I feel like it gets referenced a lot. And so it actually came around in like the late 60s, early 70s when Elizabeth wrote her book. It was inspired by a lot of work that she did with people who were terminally ill and facing the concept of passing away soon. And she kind of like wrote down and studied like these emotions and these phases that people went through when they were like trying to grapple with the fact that they would their life would be ending soon. Okay. Um, and so, I mean, since she published it, it's been debated, as most all things are in well, science. Well, this is what I did not know. So, I mean, yeah, talk about that. It wasn't, and didn't she say that her goal wasn't to have this, what, this? Yeah. So, basically, she had to come back and defend her writings and be like, I didn't mean it to sound like this, like, these steps that you have to take like one after the other. if you do it wrong, if you don't do these in order, you're doing this wrong, and right? Exactly. She was like, these are just like a collection of things that could and most likely will be experienced through grief. It's not something where like you have to take, it's like a ladder going up to the next emotion to the next. Yeah, exactly. It's just kind of like some observations and she was like, you all just took this way too literally. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And any idea why? I mean, why why did everybody embrace that? I don't know. I don't know. I could look into the... It could be the formatting of the way she wrote it. Yeah. She could have wrote it in a chapter-by-chapter, step-by-step way that made it seem like it. Or it was just, you know, I think people in science and stuff like to like to nitpick and sure. be very well, And I thought about it. I mean, as a therapist, I can't, t- I, I can't tell you. I will tell you. Mm-hmm. But I feel like um, it, it. people don't know what to do or how to grieve or the process so i almost feel like people were wanted to grasp onto anything tangible yes. that looked like oh okay there's a way to do this yeah then followed up with that of course no. is neat. and it's yeah. true because you want to have that like safety net where it's like this like, what is what do you do? can expect yeah. yes yeah yeah. It, yeah and then i think the danger then is uh is maybe someone who then doesn't say but your mileage may vary right yeah exactly if it's like wait a minute you haven't mm-hmm. done you know so yeah. uh can i show off with the acronym yes, please do it's dabda yes so we got uh we got denial mm-hmm. we have uh anger yes here we have bargaining yes we have dancing Th- that no. <laughs> has happened in okay, the past right? few years. Okay, but no, it's depression. So yes. I'm sorry, d- depression and then uh, acceptance. Yes. So uh, now I made total sport of that. But so we've got what uh, denial, anger, bargaining, um, depression, and acceptance. Yes. Okay. So do you talk about your experience with those, or I mean, or do you want to kind of go into where that comes from more? Yeah, I mean, 
basically, we went through the stages and we talked about, like, our personal experiences. Because, as you said, it's going to vary from person to person. So, when we went into the talking about the different stages, we kind of got more personal and just talk about how we've experienced these stages. Okay. Um, so, what... We can do that. Yeah, I'd like. love for you, if you don't mind. I mean, I still no. want people to go listen to your podcast, right? Yeah. But, I mean, I love I love the – you guys did such a nice job with that. And first of all, um, can we go ahead and throw out the cliche, but it is so true. Aspen Drake, is there a correct way to grieve? No. Thank you. And you will hear that a few Always. times in my podcast. Oh, and but a few it's times real. In everyone's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I do feel like that's like – now, yeah, I do. Well, and I say, like, in my podcast, the whole reason I went to, like, this grievance group that really helped me to, like, conceptualize a lot of stuff in the Mm -hmm. first place was because, like, I didn't cry. That just wasn't, like, a physical reaction that I had to grief often. And so, for me, I was like, this, there's something wrong with me. Absolutely. I don't, like, cry dramatically, like, in the movies. So, like, I must be a robot or something. Okay. Yeah. And other people are crying, and you feel like there's judgment if I'm not crying. Yes, and it's one of those things where it's, like, people who, like don't even know my life or coming up to me and crying and they're like this is so sad and I was like well glad someone's crying right (laughs) yeah okay so yeah kind of take us through those okay so the first thing um, denial denial so denial is kind of hard to have when you were there witnessing it you get what I'm saying but I think denial can be like a subconscious thing where you just go about your day-to-day, and you kind of push it to the back of your head. If I ignore it, it'll go away. It's not real. Yeah, and that's kind of my uh, pilot mode. That's kind of how I go into, like, okay, you know, get up, go to work, get chores done, like, do that daily, day-to-day grind, like, I live a normal life. And then one day I'm like, oh, oh, my my mom's one, like, I'll see, like, a mom with her daughter, and I'll be like, wow. That won't be me and my, like, Mm. if I ever have a kid, they're not going to have a grandma. Like, that, like, it just explodes out of nowhere. Sure. Yeah. So, like, I think denial can kind of get at you in that way. Yeah. Um, I was disappointed that you didn't do the denial is not a river in Egypt joke in your podcast. I saved it for you to do right now. Okay. I just did it. (laughs) There you go. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So, any more kind of thoughts around denial? I mean, I, I will say I've watched a lot of people... When there is a diagnosis, I think the di- the denial part sometimes, yeah, right? Yeah, I think the, the denial is very much the thing that happens beforehand. Yeah. Like like you said, like someone's like, this is something that's imminent. And that's when you're like, no, no. No, it's not. Or, I mean, I remember, and, and not trying to compare, or anything, but I had an uncle who was diagnosed and he, and he passed away within a few months. Yeah. And I just remember that was like a first thing we get. It's like, yeah, but he's... He's he's uh, he's strong. He's yeah. vibrant. He'll yeah. he'll get through it. Yeah, right? we're fine. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And then every step of it, it's like, well, they're doing a scan. They found some stuff, but it's probably not a big deal. And well, you know, and I think a lot of human nature is just trying to hold on to that. Yeah. Trying to hold on if it's whether you call it hope or naivety or whatever sure. you want to call it. Like I think we always want to try to be buoyant through yeah. these experiences. So I yeah, think it's so natural. that's our, almost like our defense mechanisms. Yeah. But then we also have the the opposite of the person who's like you know goes worst case, and so we don't want to be that person. Exactly. Either, right, that's yeah. the the fan of WebMD. You mm-hmm. know, oh my gosh, don't even get me started on the WebMD. Okay, but I think everyone knows. Yeah, don't I, I, don't look up yourself. Right, exactly. Right, <laughs> I, I do. There's a I I laugh sometimes with uh, I have a lot of clients who are doctors, and that's one of my kind of rapport building. Yes, you know yes. How, what's that like? And in my world, I have people all the time like, okay, I am bipolar. You know, I'm like, okay, let's kind of talk about that, right? And then well. Sometimes I get a little angry. Sometimes I get a little sad. You know, uh, sometimes I get a little happy. I'm like, well, sounds like you got it figured <laughs> out, right? Yeah. Well, WebMD, anyway. So, yeah, I could go on with that, too. But um, denial. Yeah. So, after that, anger. Were you? I can't picture an angry Aspen Drake. You were correct. Did you skip that one? That's not a... Then you did it incorrect. Yeah. Yeah. No. Okay. I did it. I did the stages wrong <laughs> because I'm not a very angry person. No, you're not. So, right. Did you have any of that? Um, I do periodically so here this is how i'm gonna like frame all the stages for us now have you ever watched like a movie or like a tv show and these people are going through like these brambles this forest and then they see like a sign pointing and they're like oh it says go that way so they keep going for like a few hours and they come back into a clearing and they see the sign again they're like i was just here okay can i just tell you and i don't want to i know i don't want us to go on forever but um my one of my very first hundred mile race i ever ran in my entire life Mm -hmm. 
um, 72, 73 miles in where it's the middle of the night and I'm running with this German guy named Teo mm-hmm. and, uh, and I'm pretty whooped at that point. Yeah. And we see this uh, swing set and I say, and I'm trying to do anything I can to just keep going. And I go, my kids would really like to play on that swing set. And then we go down a hill and we jump and whatever. And we come up and around and there's a swing set. And I'm like, man, my kids would really like to play on that swing set. And anyway, three times I yeah. do that. So I know you just triggered so this me. This is a yes. very real yeah. like definition for you. Yeah. This is what going through the stages is like for me. Ah, I love it. I feel like, you know, I'll get to that clearing and I'm like, okay, like I'm really facing this now. Like I feel like it's getting like this is real and I've uncovered like this emotion. I understand it now. And then I'm like, okay, the arrow says go that way. And so I keep going. And then like a week later I come back in the clearing. I was like, I was just here. I was literally just here. Where is the progress? Okay, that's good. That yeah. Is, yeah. So when we talk about like the anger thing, it's like it's a periodic thing. Sometimes it comes up, something will trigger it. Like um, so it isn't just, you know, I think a lot of people say, I, I'm angry at God or something like that. So there are people who are like that. I'm not, apparently, I'm not philosophical enough. I don't know if I'm just not large-minded enough to get mad at, like, a larger figure. I'm just kind of get little scenarios. So, yeah, that's a thing that is described as being in the anger thing. Not really in my forte. Sure. But, but I, so are you kind of saying, though, that my kids will never have a grandma thing is that that can bring anger? Yeah. Stuff okay. like that. Or um, this past week was my mom's best friend's birthday. So mm. I messaged her and I was like, hey, happy birthday. Hope things are going good. Checking in with her. And she sent me she checked back in and she sent me this picture of um, she and my mom were like best friends, like in like high school. Mm. And so she showed me this like excerpt from these things. They both wrote, and I read my mom's, and, like, it was just so funny and charming and silly, and, like, I started thinking about how, like, you know, my mom was just so full of life and so charismatic, and she touched so many people's lives, and, like, a lot of the time that I knew her, I think between, like, having four kids and a problematic marriage and being sick and working, I think that took a lot of the life out of her sometimes. And she was still wonderful and charming always, but I just, like, I don't know. I got angry that she's not here to keep expanding that and to keep, like, fulfilling her potential in that realm. And I don't get to experience that personally anymore. So that made me mad. But I'm not a very angry person. So that righteous indignation that gives me like that boost of energy to like rage against the machine will slowly just wilts into this like, oh, I'm just sad now. (laughs) Okay. All right. So you quickly moved there. Yes. Yes. Um, And I I didn't even have any other thoughts around anger from like where Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was going or or do you feel like we kind of covered that? Um. Let's see in my notes. Yeah. So there's also like self, like frustration, like why me? Like why is this happening to me? Okay. Either like you're, you're the one who got sick and you're like, you know, I don't deserve this or like someone you know has passed away and you're like, you know. So yeah, there's God. There's why me? That's pretty much, there's even when you can be mad at the person who passed. Okay. You can be like, why did you do this to yeah. me? Why'd you put this in me in this situation? Or like, why didn't you do this while you were still here? And I feel like that's a hard one to reconcile because it's like, it's a one-sided battle. I, well, all of these anger things are pretty much a one-sided battle. Sure. I don't yeah. think you can put on the boxing gloves with God or something, yeah. but yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, next, bargaining. Bargaining. And, and I, re- I remember this, uh, I was actually up in, uh, I think, Calabasas at a basketball tournament, walking the streets um, going to get a sandwich at Subway, listening to you guys. Mm-hmm. I remember exactly where I was with the bargaining because this is where I learned some things, right? Okay. So talk about bargaining. Okay, so bargaining is like it sounds. It's negotiating. And so some people, if you find out you're sick, some people will, like, negotiate beforehand and be like, oh, well, I'll be better now if I can be healed. Like, negotiating with God, negotiating with, like, your morals and ethics and karma and just being like, oh, what do I do to change the situation? You know, you're, like, scrambling. It's kind of like, you know, your survival instinct. You're, like, yeah, you're trying, you're avoiding that realistically there probably isn't much you can do. Okay. But this is, like, your last dash effort of being, like, what if? And also, like, after someone's passed, the ne- the bargaining it does kind of like a backward negotiation. This is what was new to me. Yeah. So this is like a, if only this had happened, would we get this result? If only we had like gone to the doctor like a few months earlier, would they have like caught it? And then this person would still be here. And I feel like that's just torturous because you can run around in circles with what ifs all the 
time and it doesn't change. This doesn't anything. sound very empathetic, but I, and a lot of times I'm, when I'm trying to work with change in the relationship people have with their thoughts, whether it's through mindfulness, that sort of thing, I just have the, is that a productive thought? Yes. Thought, right? Yeah. And that one's a topic. It's not, right? No, it's yeah. not. And that's not a matter of not being empathetic because you're not getting in someone's face and being like, yeah, cut it out. Yeah. I think it's just like, it's realistic. You can torture yourself over this stuff or you can. Oh, and I see. And so that's the one I see in therapy. I think that's why it was such an epiphany to me of not recognizing that as part of the bargaining phase where I have people all the time that yeah. if only I would have done this, this, and this. and sometimes people can create this whole, I mean, they go back yeah. years. You yeah. Know? And guilt is a very strong thing that I think is associated with grieving a lot Uh and I think this is a stage where guilt comes in because people do that very thing and so they are taking it on themselves being like oh you know like if only I'd done this and then you start thinking about like I wish I had a better relationship with this person or I wish I would have done this earlier you know I I have a couple of my kids got in a car wreck they a lady ran a red light and it and it was man one of the most terrifying days of my life And they will still at times talk about, you know, these, I was doing my homework and if I would have just done this or if I would have, you know, and it's like, man, I see how hard that or how easy I guess that is to Mm -hmm. just jump right into there. So I can't even imagine if it's something to do with somebody who had passed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what's next? Dancing? Uh, Yes. Okay. Dancing Um, your depression away. Okay. Um, So depression, I think, is when the guilt that you might have fostered in other stages kind of really gets you. And so you can either like, you know, face that guilt, but that's just exhausting. Okay. So you just kind of lay down and you take a little (laughs) depression nap, which is what I like to do regularly. Yes. So, uh, but the depression is kind of according to this, the model Depression is kind of what helps lead us to acceptance because you're depressed because you're finally facing the music and being like, okay, this is real. I can't work my way out of this. Anger's not getting me anywhere. I can't bargain myself Mm -hmm. through it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, So what do you, what, what was your experience like with depression? Depression was, well, for me, it's like, I'm not new to depression. I think I've experienced depression from a non grief related Space. Okay. And so it's one of those things where, like, when it was happening, like, when I was, like, sad or, like, chronically tired Mm. or um, just feeling not motivated to do things. Like, after my mom had passed, I was, like, kind of like, well, this is, I've been here and now there's, like, an actual reason behind it. So I can be a little more, like, forgiving with myself, I guess, and kind of just let this pass a little bit of a hello old friend yes yes um but but not gonna stay as long this time yeah exactly um what what were do you remember what were there things that were able to kind of get you out of a depressed state are there tools that you have um i think uh i mean this probably isn't like a good tool but i think guilt is a good one to nip that in the butt i think me being the oldest Uh uh-huh It is a very strong dynamic for me to be like, okay, well, I can't just sit here and do nothing because I've got three little siblings who are probably feeling the same way and got to put on the face, much like my mom always Right, I was thinking that. Yeah, Yeah, very inherited. So, um, yeah, I got to go, like, represent the family and, like, make sure everyone on the outside kind of peeking in knows we're, like, functioning, we're getting stuff done. and yeah. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned a little bit earlier, at what point did you start going to a group and what was that experience like? Cause I, that, I, I thought that was powerful too. It, it, it was, it was like a very short in the grand scheme of things. It was a short time, but it was very powerful. I went, it was probably like, I started considering it about six months after my mom had passed away. I don't remember when I started, but I think that's when I like was like, okay, maybe I should look into this. Um, and yeah, I enrolled and there was hospice groups in our area, but all the groups were for like elderly people. Cause that's oh. just kind of the, yeah. uh, the, the majority up there. So I actually ended up driving down to Davis once a week oh, that's and pretty, there was pretty far. Yeah. yeah you were committed. I was, I was like, I'm doing this for me. This is my one, like. Two hours a week where I can just sit with my thoughts and my emotions. Okay. Was there, were you hesitant to? I mean, I find that there there are times where people say I should probably do that, but then they don't. 
No, I don't think I was hesitant because it was one of those things where I'd hit the wall and it's like I, okay. I I went like right back to work after my mom passed away and that's when it was like I just started going back into the routine and like numbing myself and just being like, okay, go to work, get stuff done. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't crying a lot. I wasn't really thinking about anything outside of like my zone and so that's when I was like, okay, I need to do this because it's just not healthy. Like I think it would be liberating to be able to acknowledge these feelings and emotions okay. and I need help. Okay. So so you go down to Davis. So I go down yeah. to Davis and it was very cool because like I had mentioned, it was this group. They were all girls. They were all around my age and they were all affected by having lost a mother figure to cancer. Wow. And this was a group that was for any gender within like the ages of like 18 to like late 20s and it could have been like any kind of loss. It didn't have to be, like, from sickness or anything. So, like, our group leader, like, pointed out the first day, he was like, this is a very interestingly unique group because you all seem to be, like, have a very specific thing going on so we can dig into, like, more specific topics. So it could have been anything, but yours, Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's what made it kind of cool. Um, But, yeah, it was kind of like an art therapy group where the first hour we would talk about just kind of, like, theories behind, like, um, grieving and, you know, that's where I learned... It's okay to, like, not cry or cry or lay in bed or go to the movies. Like, yeah, you know. Okay. Sure. So, and then the second hour was art. So, we would do, like, an art project. I that. Okay, what kind of stuff did you do? So, we made, one day they laid out a bunch of magazines and they said to, like, make a collage that, like, reminds you of your loved one or that you... You know, something that you they'd like or that they would make or that reminds you of. Like, there wasn't any, like, restrictions. It okay. was art. But, yeah. like, yeah, I liked it. I was, like, going back to, like, preschool, like, so I was saying, cutting yeah, the out paste my and pictures. All that stuff. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was awesome. I think people need to art more often. Okay. Um, but, yeah, we did that. And then the last one we did was, like, we, like, played with, like, clay, like, Play-Doh. And then they, uh, they, they put it in the... What's it called? The little burner, the furnace thing oh, for us. It's like kiln. kiln. Yes. Yeah, okay. So. I wanted to say easy bake oven. Right? Yeah, <laughs> no, it was, like, yeah, it was a kiln. little more professional. Okay, fair. But it was interesting because the, the the mask that I made, like we all made masks and they're like, we want you to like show your emotions through this mask and like it can be subconscious. And I was like, okay, whatever. So I like made little like, um, eyes and a nose for a face because that's the only thing I can do with facial structure sure, okay. but I got very ambitious and I was like oh I think I want to make like a little brain on the head and like paint it different like colors wow. so it's like artsy like it's all the thoughts and emotions flowing through the head so anyways when I bring it home I show my siblings I was like hey look at this and they're like hey it's mom and I was like no it's not and they're like yeah it is she always wore those like knitted hats and I was oh, like oh wow. my gosh I made my mom okay so, that's pretty yeah. cool yeah. And that's what they talked about in the class just lots of like subconscious stuff that we don't really address verbally but if we do it through art it can kind of come out come out okay perfect um so then did that then start moving you into acceptance at that point do you feel like for me it's kind of like acceptance is a very weird thing to like have as a stage okay because i can't imagine ever like having this like epiphany moment where you like walk out into like the light and you're like i understand the circle of life and all things and i accept everything with all worries yeah yeah i feel like the closest you're gonna get to acceptance is when you kind of realize like like everything i think everyone has different bars like different stages where they can say oh this feels better Mm -hmm. this feels like more acceptance related but it's like i think as long as you're like feeling better than you were before okay even just a little bit i think that's like a step of acceptance i like that i think it's just a continual like you can feel but yeah i don't think there's ever going to be a time where you're like 30 years later and you're like i'm okay with this this was a good thing you know yeah i do you know i had a a brother pass away 20 something years ago and his birthday would have been yesterday and Mm -hmm. it's like you still have those times where i I gave a little thought to, eh, you know, it would have been nice. What would we've been like as an uncle? Would my kids have played yeah. with them? That sort of uh-huh. thing. And yeah. but then it's like, you know, I'm kind of, I'm okay. I mean, it, yeah. it doesn't have as much of a sting. Exactly. And like I said, everyone has like gonna have different levels. So like for me, it's like I don't have that milestone where I'm like, oh, I can like talk about it without crying now mm. because like 
that wasn't a problem for me before. But yeah. I'm sure for other people, that would be like a really big milestone. Sure. So, Did you ever have a moment where the tears did come and unexpectedly? Yeah. yeah. What, for me, it's like I have to like, I have to like practice the, well, first of all, I think tears just build up. I get like stressed and I'm holding everything back for so long. And then one day I'm like, oh, that's it. This okay. is the day. Like it's coming. So I think I have that. But also beyond that, I really have to like have a concentrated effort at like acknowledging my feelings. So I mentioned in some of my podcasts that I like writing because that helps me really dig into my memories and my thoughts and my feelings. And now podcasting is another way that I can kind of like untangle the thoughts in my head and like get it out verbally. Okay. Um, Do you, you talked about a couple of things. Uh, Was that the same episode where you talked about the, like the, the cultural part where you were kind of paying homage to your mom. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Oh, uh, yeah, What was that yeah. about? Yeah, okay. So um, there's a... Were you talking about the little, like, fair that I went yeah, to? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's some fairgrounds by where I live, and they put on an event every year, and it's... I can't for the life of me remember the name. Okay. But it's just where people in the community make, like, little shrines or okay. homages yeah. or, like... For, like, people who have passed away, like, specific people in their family, or for, like, groups of people, or just to, like, memorialize. Memorialize. Thank you. That was a tongue twister. Um, Just kind of like a concept or like a... So, you know, I went there, and that was like, when you think about death or, like, you just think about going to a funeral, Mm -hmm. and then you go through the, the... the motions with that and then you leave and you wipe off your hands and you're done like yeah. death isn't that it, it's not anymore you don't think about it anymore but this was cool because it was kind of like a play on dia de los muertos without okay. being like appropriation you know and where people just kind of were able to present their family members and present like things that were important to them and memorialize them okay in like a way that was like personal but also other people could come and enjoy it and everyone can just like share in this like you know, we're accepting that this is a thing. And it really is a celebration then of yeah, those who have passed. It's artistic. Everyone has their own different take on it. Yeah. It's not like sad or like having to hide it away so you don't make other people uncomfortable. That, you know? And I think that's what, yeah, is that maybe just a, an American cultural thing for the most part? The, it, we, we're not going to talk about it anymore. It right? might be. I think we just don't like uncomfortable topics unless it's edgy okay. there's some people who are like they love uncomfortable sure. topics but it's never something that's actually like yeah so did you create one of those at that or did you just kind of go and, no so okay. i went and i observed and i want to create one next year okay. so i'm going to contact them and be like hey can i have a booth this year yeah i think that'd be fun. so i have not i'm not caught up on the latest disney movies but apparently though there was one recently about death coco coco yes right. it was very good okay I went per Brighton's, my little sister's recommendation, and it was just, first of all, animation was incredible. Okay. Um, and you probably heard that because I think it got some awards. But beyond that, it was just very nice because I don't think kids are given lots of avenues to yes. think about their family members passing on and what happens after that. And so this was very much based on like Dia de los Muertos and the beliefs around that. And it was very just like cute. Disney Pixar wholesome fun where he crosses over accidentally and he sees his old family members who had passed and he like they're trying to help him get back and stuff like that. I like that the concept is oh we need to kind of start talking about it right? Yes and I just think it's cool that they can kind of give children a vocabulary and a way to conceptualize it like even if that's not like something you believe about the afterlife Mm. there's got to be something some sort of conversation where like kids can be like okay well people do leave the earth you know, let's talk about that. Yeah. yeah. And that kind of goes back. My, my whole soapbox is uh, don't, like, fix or judge somebody when they are trying to put something out there. And yes. I feel like there's kind of this underlying theme of if, if somebody wants to talk about death or, or what happens or somebody's died. And, and if the parent isn't comfortable, they're going to shut that down. Yes, right? exactly. And I think when that does come from a, a child, I think it can be intimidating because you don't know what to say. Yeah. And so I think the shutting it down can be like seen from the kid as like, oh, this is bad. This right. Is we scary. don't talk about it. Right. So we then if they have feelings about. around it, then they, we don't say anything. Right. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of the things we have about death is scary because, you know, we love Halloween. We love scary movies. Yeah. We love like gruesome murder stories so like that gets publicized everywhere that side of death but 
I don't think as much as like the actual physical, metaphysical, spiritual side of it. Yeah. I have to tell you, I haven't talked about this on any podcast, but um, the town that I live in last year, we had a, a, a very beloved football coach um, pass away on the field during a practice where there were tons and tons of kids. Yeah. Um, coach Morales. And he, and he was, uh, so they, they asked me to come talk to all of the kids, the parents, the cheerleaders. And I thought that that, that football board did such a nice job of, you know, they, they wanted to write then because a lot of kids had questions or they, they didn't even know what they saw. Mm-hmm. And they, and, and I remember I was speaking to that group and it was kind of going through this, Hey, it's okay. It's okay. If you're sad, it's okay. If you're not, it's okay. If you, you knew him, it's okay. If you didn't. And it was, I just thought that was, that was huge. Yes. And they, the, they had, um, had, there was all the chaplains from all these various churches there. And, and, uh, but I thought, okay, that was a super positive thing to do mm-hmm. instead of just like, Hey, you know, a lot of the kids don't know about it. So let's yeah. kind of keep it quiet. Right. No. And that's so, great. yeah. So I just thought that was like more toward let's, let's kind of give it a voice and no, yeah. and that's super awesome. And I know it just seems weird and open-ended to be like, oh, you can feel anything. Right, it, yeah. It's okay. Like, I don't think that's usually the answer we have for things, and yeah. so it feels weird to say that. But, like, that's kind of the safest bet we have when we're addressing, like, a big group of people, because I feel like everyone's going to have a different relationship with this person. Yeah, everyone's and I have to tell you, as the guy, like, presenting it and looking out, there were little kids, big kids, and and you saw every um, look on it. There were some people that were just completely tuned out. There were people that were just weeping there were people mm-hmm. that were I mean it was it was yeah. I mean that that whole range of emotions you got to kind of see it right yeah. there and I know that people were looking at other people thinking okay oh, I'm not sad. yeah yeah this? so yeah. but I thought that was really healthy to kind of put that out yes. there right um okay tell me in uh, so I really like that concept of that acceptance even I feel like um I think some people struggle with that where they feel like if I haven't become good with death or then something's wrong yeah. so i like your idea of maybe just a little bit of mm-hmm. progress around that yeah and that'll look different right yeah um any other thoughts around the five stages elizabeth kubler ross yes did she go on to do anything else i don't remember um i know i was reading her wikipedia i was vetting it just making sure i was giving her like her good graces yeah. and i wasn't just like throwing her name around and i know she went on to study with more concepts like this um, oh, actually, she went on. Hold on, let me check. My she went on Jeopardy. Real quick. I, I, like little pause there. <laughs> that no. would have been pretty cool. Yeah. Um, she probably would have done really well. Uh, so she uh, went, and I think she taught because she decided that there was a lack of instruction in the medical field around the actual concept of death and dying. They just learned about, you know, how to prevent death and dying. But I think she wanted to teach people how to communicate about it better. And I think I read where like her talking about the communication to professionals and people training to be professionals helped usher in like the importance of just communicating with the patient, communicating with the family, having like that bedside manner. Okay. Um, because, yeah, I feel like, you know, when you're busy studying, like, your science textbooks all day, you might become a little, like... A little clinical. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I will tell you that I do feel like the five stages of grief and loss from a therapist standpoint have started to make their way into other things. So people are grieving um, relationships or yes. grieving, you know, I always thought I would, through divorce, it's like mm-hmm. I always thought I would have this or... Yeah. And so sometimes we can apply those there, too. Yeah, yeah. And, this, yeah, this definitely isn't specific to death. It can be, like, losing a job, you know, just losing something that was a big part of your life, I think, amounts in some sort of I think you can reaction. even do it with losing keys. I just worked these through, right? Yes. Denial? No, mm-hmm. I'll find them. Anger? Yeah. Really? Again? Bargaining? It's like, okay, come on. I got to go. If I can just find these, right? Depression. Depression. Why like, do oh, I my gosh. I was this. like, fine. Uh, you know, it's no big deal. Right? Yeah. yeah. And that is when you find the keys. Mm-hmm. Right? Every time. And they're in the fridge. In the fridge? <laughs> I've never had keys in the fridge. I had a phone in the fridge once. Okay. That's, uh, I feel like, I wish that we just like ended it right there. <laughs> I had a phone in the fridge once. Um, all right. Anything uh, more kind of to, to share about, where do you want to go with your podcast? I mean, you're, it's new. It's, I really love it. Yes, it's very uh, self-starter. Okay. Um, it's very, like, I definitely have had the uh, self-sabotage stuff that I'm trying when, to put behind me, that the imposter syndrome, like you talked about, where I'm like, oh, I'm not a real podcaster. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so, basically, I listen to podcasts, and I love them very much. And okay. I very much uh, admire the people behind the podcasts. And so, I'm like... 
and I've always wanted to kind of, I like storytelling. Mm-hmm. I like sharing my experiences because I feel like I've had some, some experiences. Yeah. And I like just being able to have fun and joke around and meet other people and talk to other people and just have a space to do that. So, um, out of all the like media types that are out there right now, I just felt like podcasting was one that seemed interesting and I was kind of bonding with it lately. So I just went for it. Where will it go? I don't know. I would be super honored and flattered and it would be my dream if it went to a place where, you know, I could continue and I could make a little community for people who, you know, are experiencing grief or loss or just want to have a space to understand that if they aren't, um, uh, if I move on to other podcasts, that's that's farther on. No, in the future, yeah, I get you. Like, but I like that you want to. Yeah, you want to start getting more uh, dialogue around this. Yeah, topic. just give it a space because I feel like you know there are spaces, there are people talking about grief and loss, but like I said, people's experiences are different, so different people are going to gravitate towards the different mm-hmm. communities that are kind of talking about it. Well, I, I will have you back to talk. I want to talk about what it was like to live in Hawaii, right? Yes, I, think I can fun. talk about that. Do you have a quick, cool story, like uh, something crazy? I have, like, an anecdote. Let's hear an anecdote. So, going to school in Hawaii sounds like this magical, wonderful thing, Yeah, but it's this constant life of, like, stress and guilt because you're at the beach and you're like, oh, no. I should be doing homework. <laughs> and then you're doing homework and you're like, oh, no. I should be out enjoying the beach and enjoying nature. how long am I going to be in Hawaii, Exactly. Right? Okay. And so you're constantly going through that cycle. And it's wonderful and it's worth it. But just be warned. That's okay. the life you're signing up for. Did you ever uh, hula? Yes. I took a hula class at the school. Nice. It was very fun. Okay. And I kind of want to do it again, but... I think Sacramento does have some options. So. Nice. Okay. Yeah. All right. So will you come back on to talk about? Like, I would be honored. All right. Hopefully, people download this. Oh yeah, uh, that was oh, yo. So where do you where do you find your podcast? Okay, so my podcast, Lost for Words, it is on iTunes. It is on Android stuff. Wherever you podcast, it's on or iTunes. Find, and if you don't have iTunes, then get yeah. with the times. Yeah, oh, easy now. Uh, <laughs> Okay. Oh, yeah. And but so, and then you you have I, a Facebook group. I have a Facebook group. If you want to look that up, I have a personal Instagram. It's called Please Be More Pacific. <laughs> I made that when I was in high. I thought I was very clever. But yeah, I post about the podcast there, and okay. I make personal posts about my mom. So if you want to nice. kind of peep into that life. That's there. Okay, perfect. All right, so I would encourage everybody, Lost for Words. Uh, My guest, Aspen Drake, we will have you back. Yes, thank you, and thank you, everyone. Yeah, Uh, oh, yeah, we never even looked at the camera once, did we? Thank you. I super appreciate... I appreciate you having me on. You bet. Because it's a wonderful podcast. Literally, I've been begging you to come on. That's what I think is funny. I, 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 you know, I'd be like, you know... I don't know. Kind of busy. Well, and then I brought up, the, like, the imposter syndrome. You'd text me, and I'll be like, oh, he just, like, feels bad for me, and he wants to oh, follow up so on funny. his request. Okay, and, so like, really, I'm like, you know, I'll record this one, but I don't think it's going to make the air. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, like, I'm going to lose this file accidentally. It happens. <laughs> okay. All right. Astrodeck, thank you very much for being thank on the virtual couch. Oh, I didn't know we were shaking hands. Me. We're shaking hands. Left-handed, now. like the scouts. Office. There you go. All right, we'll see you next time. <laughs> yes, thank okay. you. Thanks. Flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's wonderful Elastic waste and rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter most It's wonderful
explode Allow the understanding through To heal the legs and hearts you broke The pain is wonderful The sheetrock walls just might in 